This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia, where you can now study single module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in a full university degree. To find out more, head to open.edu.au. This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. You're listening to the epic conclusion of my two-part interview with Steve Sammartino. He is an author, a futurist, a technology strategist, and he's quite present in the media here in Australia. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I strongly encourage you to go back and check it out. Um, But just to refresh your memory, here's a couple of the key things that we spoke about earlier this week thought, this is it. Seven years, I'll be a CEO and I'll be on the cover of Business Review Weekly magazine, right? doesn't exist. There yeah, you go. That tells that? you how... Yeah, right, what, what's that? <laughs> Shows you how the world's changed. That's what I do. So, when I write something, I say it in my head first. And both of my books I wrote in five weeks. Wait, wait. Five weeks to write yeah. 85,000 yeah, words. It's easy, mate. 2,000 a day. It's nothing. Well, I met this teenage boy on the internet. Sounds super dodge, but basically, You've, <laughs> no, it's, it's that's not how next, it sounds. That's right? the next soundbite for this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is the next soundbite. No, they're good soundbites. They're real. It's true. And so, if that wasn't enough, I have an entire another hour with Steve. The conversation was that good that I split this episode into two parts. So today is the conclusion. Um, a bit of a teaser. Steve reveals his deepest, darkest, and most challenging weaknesses, and. As a futurist, I ask him to predict the future of what life might be like in three years, ten years, and three hundred years. That's all coming up soon, but first, you will have heard that Steve has this really amazing way of using examples from history to build a narrative and to tell a compelling story. And so, I want to jump back into the interview at the moment where I ask Steve to tell me the secrets of exactly how he does it. This is my hack. I look at the things that don't change and I overlay them with the things that do. Right? And the only way you can look at the things that don't change is to have a good understanding of history and story. And so I spend more time studying history and anthropology than I do technology because that makes it easy for me to prove what's probably going to happen because the history tells a better story than the future does of what's likely to happen. So the more you look at what's happened in the past, like I, I love watching old documentaries of what happened and events and stories, because what you can do is you can look at the patterns of behavior there and use it as an example of what's likely to happen next when you put a new technology on top of it. So that's basically what I do, you know, and I pay attention. You know, the, the basic thing I do is I can, I can try and find a story out of anything that I see in life because I'm looking for it. There's an old saying in investing is the, uh, the opportunity of a lifetime happens around about once a week, but only once you start looking for it. Right? If you're looking for narrative and stories and how things can overlap, I'm always looking for the overlap. That's my number one thing. I'm looking for the overlap. What's the human behavior? What's the technology? And what's the business angle? Those three things together. And that's really the anthropological journey because business is really just a way of getting things done and using money to trade to get things done for each other. Anthropology, human behavior, that's just our DNA. That's our 200,000-year-old piece of software that hasn't had an upgrade in 200,000 years, <laughs> right? It's the human OS. That hasn't changed. And then um, you just look at the new tools that come in that interact with human behavior and how we get things done, and that's it. So, But I'm always looking for the links in the stories yeah. so that I can exp- – because the easiest way to explain something is to say – is to tell someone a story that they already know and understand and believe in. Yeah. You know, it's the old, you know how we saw the thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's a little bit like this thing over here and see how that relates. Oh, yeah, I've got it. So if you use an example that everyone knows and agrees on and understands, then we can take them on the journey of what's going to happen next. Is that unethical to use these it's like a it's like a jedi mind trick (laughs) (laughs) when you said unethical there i was like what have i done that's unethical it's not a jedi mind trick it's actually really you know if well i've never thought of it like that i'll take the compliment but you're like uh using the human frailty you're 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 hacking mind hacking yeah you're mind hacking people because they they have kind of this assumption about how something works and then you use that and parlay it to 
tell a different story. That's right. Yes, exactly. But what if that new story is not accurate or it's misleading or, you know, so this is a really good question. And this is like, a, this is a pure, this is a really interesting marketing thing because this is what marketing is about, right? It's about storytelling to get people to believe in something you believe in because once people believe in things, then they'll spend money, right? They've got to, be, they've got to believe and buy. See, people buy the thing before they spend money. Yeah, they decide in their own minds. Yeah, you buy do. it first, yeah. you buy it, then you spend money. Yeah. First you buy it and then you spend money. This is this, people don't understand that, right? Yeah. So so if it's a Jedi mind trick, the real question is, is what I'm trying to sell good or bad? So that that's that's where it is. And so I would never accept money or do something that I wouldn't be happy with or sleep well at night. Yeah, you know, like I say no to companies all. I can't tell you the amount of companies that have asked me to come and do work for them in categories that I don't believe in and so I won't do it mm. or help them with their strategy and you can guess who the evil ones out there you know those evil industries and so it's not a mind trick if you use it for good that's the question it's like anything it's like is fire bad I don't know it depends right if it warms your food and your family and your house it's terrific you know if it's used to you know burn something down then it's not terrific and so the question isn't whether or not the tool's evil. The question is the person behind the tool, what are they doing and what's their objective and what's their sentiment? Mm. And so this is like and, – and I really believe in ethical business in life. It's like once you can feed yourself and you've got somewhere to live and you can look after your family, the real question is what kind of a person are you? Mm. You know, people who chase money just to get more zeros in their bank account, I just, I, conceptually I just cannot understand it. Well, the research disproves it as well. I think it's like anything beyond about $80,000 a year yeah. actually does not improve. Zero impact on happiness. Yeah, it doesn't improve your happiness or well-being or fulfillment, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's like enough to live comfortably and then instead of buying, I don't know, a, a new car. Toyota Camry, <laughs> yeah. you buy a Ferrari right. or you buy a Maserati or whatever, right? And you like, don't get any happier. You're still yeah. miserable crying, driving down the street <laughs> in your Ferrari. You're crying your way down, down Burke Street. So, I had, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather cry myself to sleep yeah. in a Ferrari right, than yeah, a Toyota the, Camry. The, the Camry. Oh, <laughs> I'd rather be in the camera and go, yo, brother, I don't need the Ferrari. I'm, I'm digging life. <laughs> Seriously. This, you know what? I reckon there's some real hierarchy and, and, and power, if you're interested in this, in actually shunning it. That's, that's the ultimate power because, you know, you're still subservient when you buy the Ferrari. You're still a servant to the system. It's when you can shun that that you've got the real power. You know, I think the ultimate thing that says how powerful you are in life is whether or not you get to decide what you wear each day. Steve, what's your weakness? <laughs> I'm pretty ugly, which is why I like podcasting. I'm a super ugly dude. I've got heaps of weaknesses. I'm full of them. All right, I'll tell you. Like what? So I'm really good at long distance running and sprinting, and I'm terrible at middle distance running. And I'm not talking about the athletic side of it. I'm talking about life. I'm really, really good at doing short projects, and I'm really, really good at long-term thinking. I'm pretty bad at that middle distance-y kind of thing. How much, uh, like, how does that impact your life? So, so what I do is I work around my weakness. I don't try and fix it. So, I always try and do things at a really short lead. You know, speaking suits me perfectly. It's short lead. It's like, see, on Tuesday, all right, we're done here. And I smash it for that thing. Or, and I'm really good at, you know, long-term planning financially and what the things I want to learn for the next three, five, and ten years. Raising kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. And learning and reading and writing books and doing all that that kind of long, long stuff. I'm really good at really short and really long. I'm pretty bad at doing like it's something that might take, you know, three or four years or that kind of, you know, two years. It depends on the category, of course, because some sure. things are long lead and short lead. I mean, the timelines vary depending on what you're looking at. What's an example of, of one of those projects that you've crashed and burned on? Ah, see, this is, this is confrontational. Um, That's the whole point. I, yeah, no, you're <laughs> right. Like, okay, so, all right, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working on a startup called Sneaky Surf at the moment, which we had some really good early validation, like really good, like tight community of people. It's basically like a runkeeper for surfers. It's a mashup of kind of like runkeeper, social, Instagram-y, you know, surf reports all kind of mashed up, right? It only makes sense for surfers, right? Yep. And, you know, we launched it with a really quick and dirty MVP, minimum viable product with uh, my co-founder, Gus. He came up with this classic technique where we used Trello as a board to plan what we want the app to look like, got people on it, and then we coded up the proper app and put in the app store. It went really well. But, but. then, it, yeah, but so it's still there, right? And it's still, I was even posting on it today and um, 
but it hasn't had the love that it deserves because it's a it's one of those mid burn projects. It's not like you know we did the I did the really sprinting stuff early on really well and killed it, and it's still going. So it might survive in the long term, right? Because I'm a good long player. But right now in the <laughs> midterm, it's unloved, and it's unloved because are you are you bored with it? No, nah, I'm not bored. It's just like well, it's all just startups, not, it's, it's just it's, not on the priority list. Yeah, it's just not there. It's just not there. And I'm really bad. And this is another weakness. Okay, we're, we're going to get into the the Stevie weakness session. I told I told you this. We're going to get there. We're this gonna, is the story of Steve Sabatino that nobody's heard. Yeah. So because you're on the radio all the time, I need to have like a unique angle here. Yeah. So. No. Right. So I'm really bad at doing too many things at once. It's a really bad habit. Like no. And so I think that, we no, all no, are. No. But no. But I want to. I actually want to really not use this because you know how sometimes when you ask people what their weaknesses are. And what they do is they stealthily try and show how amazing they are because they're taking on too much and whatever. But no, I'm really bad at starting stuff and not finishing it. I'm really bad at it. I've got so many started projects that just never get never got finished. And even right now, I've got some opportunities that are big and I'm just not doing them. And I, I, I just I just I get home and I'm tired and I just can't be bothered. No, seriously, I, I'm really lazy. <laughs> no, I'm I'm so lazy. <laughs> Dude, I'm the laziest person you've ever met. My wife was hearing that. She'd be just nodding her head so steeply right now, yeah. falling off her shoulders. I'm the laziest dude ever. I just can't be bothered. Like sometimes I'll lie on the couch and if the remote controls is like at the other end of the couch, I'm like, I'll just watch this horrible show. I'll yeah. just watch it because I'm just not moving that far. So I start a lot of projects I can't finish. I make promises I can't keep with projects. I'll get it to you on Tuesday and I don't. They call me on Thursday and I haven't got it done. <laughs> So there you go. So look, I'm, I'm, mate, I'm full of weaknesses. I'm, I'm really bad at um, paying invoices and bills and, and opening letters and filing stuff. Yeah. Mate, you should see my office is a disgrace. I've got this one pile. I reckon it's taller than my daughter. I've got this one <laughs> pile of stuff that needs to be filed. It's been there for nearly a year. What you're saying now reminds me of um, a YouTube video you put out a little while ago about- Oh, what did I do? You, no, it's about like you need to fail at some things because- in the long run, you need to focus your attention working on the business rather than in the business. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, I did do that. And You're you right. talked about, you know, in the in the short run, we have to miss a few deadlines. We have to fuck a few things up. We have to disappoint some people because otherwise- uh, You'll never set up your goal. system. Yeah. What, what you have to do is miss deadlines to be able to set up goals or set up systems that you can achieve goals. Yeah, so what does so, that mean? So, if you're always- getting every deadline and doing those, you know, laying the bricks or doing all those pieces that people are requesting and satisfying every request, you never ever get to the time where you actually go, oh, no, what I'm going to do is is set up that system so that that thing gets automated in the future. But in order to do that, you have to have a period of time where you disappoint people while you build that new system. And very, very rarely are we prepared to do that. Yeah. I am. I am, of course. <laughs> I'm prepared to let you down. By the way, to everyone out there who's waiting for something, I promise I'll get back to you. I promise. Just call me. Just call me. <laughs> there's more weaknesses, by the way, if you want to go deeper. There's, there's so many more. I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface. I'm really undisciplined with food after 10 p.m. as well. It's all right. You've got another hour. <laughs> <laughs> that bag of Doritos are there, over there is, uh, know, is calling for you. <laughs> Let's talk about the future. I think we could kind of take this in many different directions, given that you're a, uh, a futurist. But let's start with this. What will be the next biggest fundamental shift of our lifetimes? Like smartphones was, you know, how, how it took us from, I guess, computers to always on connectivity yeah. and having information available at the ready. What's next? Yeah, the, the biggest shift without doubt. Uh, and, and it leads to a whole lot of other shifts is um, automated transport. Tra- okay, all right. So transport. Yeah, transport. Why? I didn't say didn't say cars. Automated transport, mobility, the new age of mobility. That's what it is. It's the mobility revolution. Actually, we're living through a mobility revolution underpinned by technology. If you look at the one thing that links everything, it's mobility. It's mobility of ideas, mobility of information. Mobility of manufacturing with 3D printing, mobility of cars, mobility. it's all mobility. Right? It's all mobility and decentralized technology that allows things to co- to occur that are geographically independent. So where's your accountant? Well, your accountant can be in Mumbai or Shanghai. It doesn't matter. It's a mobility revolution. So the big fulcrum that's going to happen is uh, automated transport. So 
cars, buses, flying drones, right? Drones. We will literally, I promise you, we will be flying in drones 10, 15 years from now, just anywhere you want to go. Like, I promise you that is going to happen. This is a classic Amara's law. Amara's law states that the technology always takes longer than we think it does to arrive, but when it does arrive, the impact is far greater than we think it would be. Mm. Right? And we've been thinking about flying cars for 50 years. Remember Jetson style? Yeah. Right? But you've got to remember we're talking about horseless carriages 100 years before they arrived as well. Right? And when the horseless carriage arrived, that changed the entire world. Like Henry Ford, he invented suburbs. He invented suburbs. There was no suburbs until Henry came. Yeah. You lived on a train line or in the city, and the reason the houses were small and close to the factories and the inner city areas is because you had to walk there or ride your bicycle. Yeah. Right? That's what happened. And now autonomous transport is going to invent exurbs. So the exurbs are the areas where you live two hours out from the city. I disagree with every demographer in the world. We're not going to aggregate in the cities. We're going to be in the cities and in satellite centers. The physical places we live is going to represent the internet, the same physical pattern. You've all seen a picture of the internet. And so autonomous transport is going to change everything. So are we going to commute in our driverless car to the Sometimes. city every day? Or Sometimes. are we just going to work remotely Now No, we're day? going to mostly work remotely. I think three days out of five, if I was to put a number on it, will be remote working. And I'll tell you why. Because the spreadsheet rules everything. And as big companies continue to get disrupted, we've only seen the entree of this. I mean, we've only seen a few industries really been hurt, you know, mostly media, a bit of retail. We haven't really seen much of it, a little bit of travel. When they realise that their top-line growth isn't there, they're going to reduce costs. The easiest way to reduce costs is I can see some, some of these Taj Mahal, you know, big buildings here with 10,000 people all causing traffic jams coming to the same place every morning at 9am, which is crazy, when they could be working at home with a lower cost base in a place where they can afford a house two hours out from the city where they've got clean air and come to the office two days a week in an autonomous vehicle that doesn't get caught in a traffic jam. This is going to change where we live. It's going to change where we work. You know, virtual reality, that's that's a mobility revolution. Where am I? Well, I'm in the boardroom virtually, but not really. You know, cars become rolling lounge rooms or rolling offices. Mm. Um, private transport and public transport kind of mash up and start to look the same. Yeah. It's kind of like a car with sort of five people in it, but then the bus is a little bit, it's a little bit like a minibus, but maybe it's a car, but I don't have a car. They don't even look the same. You know, the way they drive where we live, well, that's going to change because I only need to go in the office two days a week, if, if at all, and I'm going to live somewhere else. And then you, you get this redistribution. And then we're flying drones. We don't need to spend... $3 billion building a new bridge in our city because it's too crowded because we have a meta structure of roads, five layers of ones and zeros in the air, and we fly. <laughs> we fly. No, I'm serious. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. You know, drones have had 142 times cost improvement ratio in the last six years. A drone today that cost $1,000 six years ago cost $142,000. Yeah. This is the law of accelerating returns. So I think the biggest shift will be how transport changes where we live and where we work. Autonomous transport is going to be as big a shift as the combustion engine in the, the car was. All right, let's do a bit of an exercise then um, because I think this will be fun, but also uh, it'll paint a bit of a picture. So let's think about a world, um, this world, three years in the future. So we're in 2017 today. Yeah. In three years' time, in 2020, talk me through what, a day in the life of Steve or Adam or, 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 or you listening um, would be like. Okay. So, I wake up in the morning. Um, I still check my phone, but maybe I talk to it. So, the first shift you're going to see is things are going to become ambient computing. Is the, And that's started now. With Siri and, and Google yeah, Home and yeah, Amazon Google Echo. Yeah, Google Home, and Amazon Echo. So, ambient computing. So, that's, you know, when I talked about the smartphone going away, it'll be in the walls or in your clothes or, you know, that that's what that's already started to happen. Now the reason this would take longer than the smartphone is that we it doesn't have a natural substitute. The phone had a natural substitute. We all had mobile phones, so when your contract ends, you go straight into a smartphone. This technology is as life changing, but because there's no substitute, it takes longer for it to get implemented in the marketplace. Because I I don't have to have an Echo, but once I get one or once I get a, a Google Home, the benefits will be there. So I'll talk to it. I'll say, check my emails, read them out. What's the weather like? Um, what's the traffic? Um, set my car up to give me the automated route. All of the things that you might ask a computer and more you will start to talk to. So in the next three years, you'll see that. You'll start to see autonomous vehicles on the roads. 
I think within those three years you'll see them. You know, like level four, level five autonomy. At the moment we've got kind of level two, level three autonomy on the roads. Um, and But I think – and you'll start to see, I think – more and more people starting to work from home and where they are with the mobility side of it. They're the only big shifts that I see. Oh, and probably the other one, your house, we're going to start to see the shift to renewables that's already starting to have. The economics from there aren't far from uh, it being as cost-effective to have your own energy generation. So they're the, they're the kind of main shifts that you'll see in the next three years. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit uh, and talk about what the world is going to look like in 10 years. So, we're in 2027 or 2030. Yeah, so by this time, no one's really driving. Everyone's in their autonomous vehicles. That soon? Yeah, absolutely. 10 years, yeah, of course. I'm going to go invest in Tesla. You should. Tesla, I think, has a real chance of being the world's biggest company because Tesla's an energy company. Yeah, which I really like that as a proposition. Their, their, their big thing is a their fun- factory and, and the batteries they yeah. make. Well, this is what Musk said himself. He said, it's a fundamental shift in the way energy moves around the world, which I really like. Uh, so no one will be driving. We'll be cruising around in autonomous vehicles. Uh, ambient computing will be everywhere. Um, it won't be inside our bodies yet, but it'll be in the walls. Uh, that's where uh, the computing will be. We'll all talk to the computing or infer with gestures on what we want done. Um, I think that more than 50% of us will be independent workers who work on contract for a variety of companies at the same time. I think all of us will be using some form of digital or cryptocurrency and having a digital wallet. I think by this time the banking industry will be you know, fully disrupted and be marginalized like the media industry is. I think that um, by that time Google and Amazon might not exist because they will have been split up due to antitrust through um, monopoly yeah. violations. <laughs> And I think that a new internet will have emerged where we have a decentralized blockchain style of internet where um, there's no one who owns or controls it. All right, excellent. Let's uh, let's fast forward a, a fair amount and I want to go 30 years Ooh, okay. in the future. Yep. Is that too far? No, nah, 30 years is good. So, 30 years in the future, we're in 2050. Yep. What does a day look like in 2050? Uh, so there are no devices that you touch at all, computational devices. You've got an implant uh, that is your smartphone's implanted with nanotechnology inside your body. Um, all of the communication that you need to do with you or your friends or whatever, you just think it and it sends the notes to the right people. Our houses look pretty much the same, but more of us live right in the city or right out of it. Many of us will have virtual workspaces that we'll walk into. They're a little bit, little bit like a holodeck for the Star Trek uh, Next Generation fans out there where you go into rooms and it gives you a virtual existence of where you are, um, even though you haven't moved. So our mobility will start to be, we don't change places, but our minds and our information and our perception chases, changes places, but where we are actually is the same. Um, the air will be a lot cleaner. Driving will be illegal. Uh, it'll be a curiosity at like weekend events where people show that they can still drive. Yeah, no, 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 dude. Like, like horse dressages are now. Yeah, it'll be like a nostalgic thing. I'm going to a driving nostalgia party. What's that, dude? What's yeah. that? It's amazing. People have cars with steering wheels. What's a steering wheel? You know those round things? Oh, they they used to. Wow. So. <laughs> No, really, and and we'll, we'll live a virtual. We'll all have three D printers in our house that can three pr- D print pretty much anything that we need there and then. Elemental nanobot uh, molecular manufacturing will have that, and it'll be like a microwave. You know, you'll have desktop manufacturing of anything that you need. Uh, I don't think many of us will be eating any bad food. The food that we eat will be really clean and green. The air will be a lot cleaner, and the cities that we live in will be incredibly greener because most of the space that is currently paved and given to vehicles you know we'll only need you know 20 percent of that and it'll be they'll be green they'll look you know what they'll look like they'll look like urban jungles but this time they'll be green ones mm. buildings will you'll see buildings and they'll mostly look green they won't look gray mostly they'll have things growing out the side of them. and i've seen that in singapore there's buildings that have that so that's what it'll look like in 30 years and, and there's more than that but that that's a, at least a taste so if that wasn't scary or <laughs> crazy enough let's uh fast forward 300 years wow and, and that's really difficult to this is, this is so con- hard conceive it's right ridiculous what because if we look back 300 years what would that be the 1700s 
Um, yeah, but this is more complex than that because uh, accelerates, right? It accelerates, accelerates, accelerates. Accelerates. All right, so, so it's more difficult. So three hundred years in the future, let's just call it twenty three hundred. Yeah. So this is a total postulation of. Who knows? Here's what I think. No, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to hold you to this, and right. when, when we when we've when we got are, like our okay. brains in like the the jar well, of whatever. The point. In Some, years. If, you're, if you're with Kurzweil, we're the last mortal generation, right? When the singularity happens, all human problems will be solved unless AI eats us for breakfast. Uh, and we'll all right, be able to- hang on. Explain some of that because this is the 300-year prediction, right? So, AI, singularity. Oh, that, that stuff will happen way before 300 years. Yeah. Like way before. Okay. So, let's talk about that. Well, the well, singularity. What is all that stuff? So, the fear of AI is this. If we develop – because there's two types of artificial intelligence. There's artificial narrow intelligence, which is like a autonomous vehicle. It knows how to do a certain number of things and it's fixed within that realm. Um, artificial superintelligence in the Nick uh, – Bystrom's sort of definition is an intelligence that is better than humans in every intellectual, creative, and physical pursuit. And it has an infinite ability to increase its intelligence and learn more as it goes. Right? If that happens, then it becomes a species which is superior to us. And even though it may not have an agenda that is out to kill us, it might treat us like ants. We're just inconsequential. So if it wants to build, you know, if we want to build a bridge and there's an anthill there wow we feel sorry for the ants we didn't want to kill them but we want to build the bridge and that's just all there is to it but if the ants happen to be in a hillside we don't care good luck to your ants so that that's that's the challenge there with artificial superintelligence so surviving artificial superintelligence would be difficult i think because you basically no longer uh the alpha species and if you're not the alpha species you don't rule and that's it and that's, yeah. that's the end of the story. So if artificial superintelligence happens, our future is not bright. Well, it, it will happen. I, well, I think may, that, no, well, that, that's, uh, the jury's out on that. Some people think that if you listen to what Kevin Kelly says, he said there's no evidence that suggests that there can be an artificial superintelligence. Mm. Artificial narrow, narrow intelligence that could be smarter at us in separate things is not only possible, it's already happened in yeah. you know, maths and calculation yeah, yeah, yeah. and algorithms, right? Um, yeah, a but, calculator but, for $5 is yeah, smarter right. than a human, yeah, right? At, at, at that, partic- at that exactly. narrow thing, at that narrow thing. So there, there isn't any evidence yet that pure processing ability creates an intelligence, which is what Kurzweil believes. He believes if you have enough processing power, then intelligence emerges from it. But there is some evidence that... Machine learning, they don't know how machine learning works. Once you put neural networks together, it just works out a way to work. But they're, 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 there's leading thinkers who disagree with each other. So, we don't know for sure. Yeah. I mean, Elon's pretty worried about he's it. He's super worried about it. Um, and I think his understanding is better than Zuckerberg's on super intelligence. Yeah. The Wait But Why article is the one to read. Uh, but don't read it if you want to sleep. <laughs> if you like sleep, don't read this because I was awake for three weeks worrying I would be turned into a paperclip. Right. And when you read it, you'll know what that means. All right. <laughs> Put in the show notes, Adam. And uh, so there's that. Uh, the singularity is is the time when computing power matches or exceeds humans. But then it gets on this perpetual curve of improvement, you know, vertical just improvement. So if superintelligence happens, the future isn't bright at all. No, like, definitely not. So my 300-year prediction is this. I don't think we'll exist as a species. The human race. Yeah. Or will be entirely marginalised. That's I honestly believe that, and that's like the Fermi paradox, which is you know if you get to a certain stage of development, then why haven't we met anyone else? And if we haven't, maybe we can't get past a certain point of development before we destroy ourselves. Yeah, there's, a, there's and, yeah, another with the Donald in the house. With the Donald in the house, <laughs> I mean, hey, dude, I mean, the it, Donald and the Kim. I mean, we should have known with his hair. I mean, because actually, Kim Jong Il's got better hair than Donald. I mean, if we had to judge them on hair haircuts, which is not what we're judging them on right now. Uh, uh, there's actually a really great Wait But Why article about the Fermi Paradox as well. Yes, that's we'll, right. There we'll is, yeah. yeah. So, we're both fans. So, I think that'll happen. Now, if artificial superintelligence doesn't happen, I think that we will all live in a virtual existence where our bodies, we almost exit our bodies in some mental capacity and we live in the ether of sorts. We live like inside some sort of informational world where we actually don't physically move anyway, some sort of like virtual the, reality. It's like the Matrix. A little bit like the Matrix or maybe even like there's a there's a movie called Surrogates. Have you seen that? It's, 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 a pretty yeah. cra- it's not a great movie, but it's an interesting idea. Yeah. So I feel like the idea that we might actually live inside some virtual existence where we're not really there and we get all of the new 
nutrients that we need through you know 3d printing and chemicals and all of the medical requirements we need and we we live in some sort of a virtual existence so that's what i think will happen if if we're alive but i really i'm a positive guy but you just have to look at the science and the trajectory and it's very very hard to see how we would survive artificial superintelligence if it did arrive we got we got to finish with something more positive than that. <laughs> we will. Meister. This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia. With Open Unis, you now have the flexibility of studying single module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in an entire degree. So this is perfect if you're a busy professional, um, you don't have to go to night school or anything like that. This is a brand new initiative that Open Unis has created, which allows you to upskill for your current role or maybe take the first steps towards a new one. And they have a really broad range of subjects that you can learn about. Things like technology essentials for managers or financial decision making. Or perhaps if you just want to learn something new, maybe you could study cyber terrorism and information warfare or democracy and dictatorship. There's over 100 units to choose from on topics from business to economics, technology, media to law. There's so many more. So instead of going to night school, why not work in a way that's flexible for you? Uh, You can work in your own time and learn about some really fascinating topics. To find out more about how to study a single unit from a leading Australian university with Open Universities Australia, head to open.edu.au. And thank you very much to Open Unis for your support of Mate. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, and, and it's actually really evident from a lot of the stories you tell and the way that you tap into history and things like that, um, is that you kind of try and meld technology and, and the innovations that are happening with anthropology. Before we actually met, I didn't even know what anthropology was. (laughs) So, perhaps it'd be interesting to start from the point of view of like a bit of a Stevie definition on what is anthropology. So, yeah, the pure definition I couldn't give you. But it's basically the study of human behavior, of man's travels, a person's travels. Sorry, my apologies. So, of, of how we've interacted, moved, the things that we've done, why we've done them. So, it's really... It's almost a fancy way of saying studying history. It really is. But it's the behavioral element um, on top of it because history is the pattern of what we did and anthropology is the why we did it on top of that as well. So it's really understanding behavior, human behavior, and the patterns of those behavior and looking for things that don't change and patterns within that because you'll find within uh, uh, certain civilizations there are certain power structures, certain elements, certain things that um, are similar across all cultures. You know, every culture has, you know, dance and food and celebrations and and hierarchy. And there's certain things that seem uh, inevitable within the human psyche that we will always develop. You know, we develop different typologies of it, but, you know, even language, you know, we develop language and writing. It's, It's the same. So anthropology is the study of those things and understanding uh, human patterns. And anyone can do it, right? It's just a matter of being curious enough to care. Yeah, of course. You know, just watching and reading certain things that will expose you to that and then just remembering them and saying, oh, that's related to this. Because we've got to remember that no one knew anything. Someone has to postulate an idea and say, oh, well, how does that marry up with that and propose yeah. it? And, and then you can study it and say, well, is that true? And study the science of it. But just to propose it. Don't be afraid to propose an idea that's yours. Because I reckon we have them. I reckon we get told not to propose ideas. Yeah. You know, at school, they say, oh, where did you quote that from? Why can't I just have my own idea? Mm. I mean, I'm not talking Steve about- Steve Sammartino, my- 2017. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where it, it came from. That's where it came from, right? You're not allowed to do that. No, you've got to have someone else's idea. Someone smarter than you. You've got to quote them. Yeah. Now, I understand. But where if you, do they come up with it? That's right. Look, I understand if it's you're building bridges or science or whatever. I get sure. it. But but with you know general ideas and philosophy, why can't you have your own? Like seriously, why can't you have your own? I'm not saying have your own facts. Absolutely not. Absolutely, if it's factual, it's factual. That's all there is to it. But when it comes to narrative and story and proposing potential ideas that we can test scientifically, 
What's wrong with having your own ideas? Hypotheses. Hypotheses, yeah. exactly. But we sort of get told not to have them. Yeah, and that's what you've said there is actually a really nice segue into um, the kind of last thing that I wanted to touch on, which is this this kind of concept that the world doesn't give us permission to be innovative. The world doesn't give us permission to be original. And and I guess, like, you talk about this a lot in your book, The Lessons School Forgot. Mm. Um, the school system, the, the corporate hierarchy, we talked about this way back at the start of um, when we started talking. Uh, it's, it's a system designed to beat innovation and, and creativity out of people. And I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but, you know, like, what lessons has school forgotten? Well... It's all based on paperwork. That's the first thing. So you, when you talk about, it's all about authority. If I was thinking about one thing, even the word book, you know, author, it comes from this authority. You're yeah. an authority on this. So it's all based on authority and paperwork and qualifications because you want to prove that you're a low risk and that you can do this thing. And so- That's interesting, that, the, the low risk. Yeah, that's what you are. It's to de-risk you. Yeah. We, don't, we can't have risky people in here. Because creativity and innovation is risky. They're risky. Yeah. They're inherently, well- they can be less risky than than we think they are. But basically, the school system is all about risk reduction for them, not you, mm. for them. Because it's you know, if you have one employer, that's more risky for you because you've got all your revenue in one, in one place. What's the first investing rule? Diversify your investments. Yeah. And what do they teach you? Get a job. <laughs> have an undiversified <laughs> revenue stream yep. for your life, otherwise known as job. <laughs> right? No, no, seriously, it's crazy. It's the opposite of what you learn in investing, right? That's because it wasn't designed for you. So the thing that they forgot to tell you was that you don't need a job. Actually, what you need is revenue. A job is one form of revenue, but we should teach kids about revenue streams. Job is outlawed in my house. We don't have that word. We have revenue streams. Now, you, can, you might have a job. That might be one of your revenue streams, but you might have rent. You might have royalties. You might have profits. There's all these different – because what you need f- to have a life isn't a job and money. You need revenue, yeah. and there are different ways to generate it. They didn't teach you that. They wanted you to get qualified to get a job, didn't they? Yeah. They said, what job are you going to do? They don't say, what revenue source are you going to have when you grow up, Adam? Yeah. They don't ask you that. right? Now, they might have it in schools these days, but when I went, there wasn't one entrepreneurial class at all in any of the schools. And you know what else they forget? They forget that we've got a whole body. Actually, what you have once you get to high school is just a head. Mm-hmm. You don't have a body anymore. <laughs> no, you do. You have. You just only have a head. You haven't got a body. You've only got a head. Uh, when you're at primary school, you've got a whole body because you do running and art and different things. Yeah. And then when you get to high school, unless you're a you know a flunky and you go off and do some sort of arts thing, but basically the smart people that we only work on the head. Look, anything from the shoulders down, we're not interested in. But we've got whole bodies, right? Yeah. They forget about creativity, about art and entrepreneurship and revenue. They're the things that school forgets. And you know why it forgets it? Didn't forget it. They just put a red cross and said, we don't care about that stuff. So, you know, we have to – and, you know, my book isn't about rewriting what school should be. This is the stuff you can learn despite it, right? Because school's great. I learned, you know, without the fundamentals of school of reading, writing and, you know, some of the you know ways it teaches you to critically think and study, I wouldn't be able to do the things I do today. But we need to remember that education and school aren't the same thing. Yeah, it's not that school is teaching you incorrect things. No, it's, it's teaching incorrect things. It's just a. It's incomplete. That's exactly yeah. it. So that's and that's why I say the lesson school forgot. I didn't say school taught you bad stuff. And in yeah. the first chapter, I say, hey, this is not the anti-school book. School's yeah. great for what yeah. it does, but there's so many things that you need in life if you want to be independent, and if you want to have a future-proof life, then you need to know these things. And it wasn't in the curriculum for good, bad, or indifferent. It just wasn't in the curriculum. So I'm going to give them to you. Yeah, we talk a lot of, these days about STEM. You know, science, technology, engineering, maths. They're, they're the, the big kind of areas that people need to focus on and that the, the government subsidizing and investing into. I can see you shaking your head, which is not coming through on the radio very well. But like, <laughs> um, So, I thought I'd give the, the visual to, to, to the to, for anyone listening. But, um, you know, like these are the big things that, that we're focusing on right now in the education system. Total hoax. Let me tell you why. I'm a technologist, right? So I love technology, science, math, and all that. I love it, right? I mean, I did a lot of that at uni, and it's great, and I love it, and it's fantastic. And I know why they're pushing it, because we need it in today's economy. But you know why they're pushing STEM? You know why? Because it's still for them. STEM rhymes with them. That's what, that's who it's for. I just made that up. That's a new bit. It's a new bit. I'll put in the talk yeah, next talk. It- <laughs> STEM rhymes with them, because STEM was designed for them. 
It's still about you being subservient in their system because if you've got science and you understand technology and engineering and maths, we can still plug you into our factory system. And instead of uh, you being someone who just does, you know, in the service economy or does some kind of, you know, flunky stuff, we can actually get a little bit more high tech and leverage you in our corporation and you can still become a happy little taxpayer. It's still for them. But there's no economics or entrepreneurship in there. And I say in the book, we need esteem, you know, economics and entrepreneurship. We need to add the missing E's. Yeah. Right. So I'm not saying STEM isn't good. I'm saying it's still incomplete. And you know why? It's still for them. It's like they want you to serve their system. Like, oh, you know what? Our, our economy doesn't have enough scientists and technologists in it. We'll just plug them into the system and everything will be okay. No, what we need is entrepreneurs because if you don't have an entrepreneur, you can have all the STEM in the world. You can have a little STEM party and rub your face in STEM. It's not going to create any new businesses or new jobs, right? Yeah. Because I don't know how many garage heroes I know, people with amazing technology stuck in their garage. Unless you have an economic and entrepreneurial spirit, mate, you're not going to take it out of the garage. You're not going to create anything for our economy. The picture that you paint is a little confronting sometimes because uh, it, it's a little bit like 1984. The government is trying to control the 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 people that are going through education so that they can become subservient corporate citizens and happy little taxpayers that yes. funds the government, right? That's right. Do you think that it's really kind of this this self-fulfilling prophecy of, of government trying to control its citizens or or is it a byproduct of It's a byproduct. Look, uh, I don't I don't system, believe in, right? I don't believe in conspiracy. Like Malcolm but- Turnbull and Donald Trump and whoever, like the world leaders, they're not going, "Hey, w- let's like make these all these little happy little tax-paying plebs." They're just going, "The system works this way and we need to fund right. a country, so to do that we need taxpayers and we need whatever right. or whatever." So the it's not that people are trying to intentionally um, uh, create a system that is not in the public's best interest. It's that they're just trying to optimize um, a system that that just happens to manifest in that way. I agree with you. It, when I say that, it sounds as if it's by design. 1984. It's not. I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I don't believe that anyone can pull together that amount of moving parts to design a system that creates these little automatons who pay tax. What I think does happen is that over time systems get built, increasingly complex systems. And if the system emerges that suits people managing the hierarchy or the economic system, then they want to perpetuate that, right? And the easiest way to maintain stability in a populace is, you know, incremental economic growth where everyone gets a little bit wealthier each year so they're happy and you have stability, right? That's what you want. That's what you need. If the jobs all go away and there's no finance, then you'll get instability. And so I don't don't believe in conspiracy theories. I really don't. Uh, but I do believe that convenient systems can be perpetuated even if they're heading in the wrong direction and people don't see the chance to go elsewhere. And the whole sort of employment situation and taxpayers, I think has really made people lazy. I think having jobs is really, I'm going to say it. I don't care if people don't like hearing it. I'm going to say it. People are lazy and people are too busy watching MasterChef instead of upskilling and saying, well, if I work in this industry and the job's going to go away, I should probably learn something new. Hey, and it's not as if we haven't got the choice right now. Like we've been given the gift of dignity to actually go and learn something new for a really good price. The price is for free, right? <laughs> if you've got the internet. Yeah, right? it's like MIT yeah, and, it's like and you can, uh, yeah, Stanford University right. courses free on, the, on free the internet. From the world's best leaders in the subject of your choosing. Yeah. You can go and learn that thing and future-proof yourself. And I want to say this to every listener out there. If you are clever enough to read, then you have all of the skills to learn any of the technology that is shaping today. Because the English language, anyone who understands technology, natural language processing has been the most complex thing that we've had to get our computers to learn. And so, therefore, if you can do that, and again, it's deliberate practice. I mean, yeah, it takes years of deliberate practice to learn to read and write and communicate. So put some deliberate practice into your own future. Right? I mean, yeah, you know, I know you've only got four hours a night after work and you want to relax and you've worked out. I get it. I get it. But if you invest an hour in yourself each day, that's like an entire working week. Because anyone who works in a big company knows they waste seven hours a day in meetings shouldn't <laughs> be in. Right? So if you invest one hour a day in yourself, right, at the end of three years or a year, you could become a one percenter, the one percenter who understands the future. See, before the Industrial Revolution, when you were a baker, if you could see the demand was coming down at your bakery or people going across the world because he had kibble rye and you didn't have kibble rye or, you know, he got that new cutting machine, you'd go and buy it, right? And you'd, you know, you'd 
if you were treating your staff badly and they kept leaving you, you'd start being nice to your staff because you were a micropreneur and you learned to adapt in the market. But now we become subservient people managing an infrastructure and spreadsheets of something we can't even see or touch and we lose touch with revenue streams. So the art of entrepreneurship and self-reliance was stolen from us as we became taxpayers and employees. Yeah. And it's too easy to do. I think that's half the problem. Like, just- It's easy. Mate, life's good. The fridge is full. The house is warm. And MasterChef's on. Dude. Well, so, why would I bother? Like, yeah, well, that's the to- government's job. What are you going to do? Jobs and growth, jobs and growth. They're just going to happen, Adam. If you just say jobs and growth long enough and as, and as many times as possible, that will just magically Careful. appear. Careful. If you say it three more times, you're going to get elected. Oh, that's, that's the problem. For our next If I minister. say jobs and growth, jobs and growth, jobs and growth, <laughs> you know what will happen? Just like little jobs and growth fairies just right near us. They'll be just here. We just like they'll be making it rain, like it's Floyd Mayweather. It's like who knows? <laughs> I mean, that's that's what we've got here. Yeah. So how do you fix it? Because the incentives are against no, it, right? So, so no, why would I want no, to do no, it? I've got some advice for you. Do not fix the system, right? Now you might be ultra more altruistic than me. Here's another one of my weaknesses, Adam. You might be more altruistic than me and want to go out and fix the system. Or here's an alternative. You can take all the opportunity that's been given to you and fix yourself instead of the system. Right? You can create something new, do a side project, learn a new skill and go out there. You could try and fix the system and you might succeed and we probably need you. And there are enough altruistic people out there who are better than me who might do that. But what I'm focusing on is me and seeing if I can um, help people change themselves, just one person at a time. And if enough people can get the lessons on how they can help themselves, then they might teach someone else what I taught them and then teach another person. So that's, I'm going bottom up here rather than, um, you know, the political realms of doing it so because it's really, really hard to change a system. I don't think I'm capable for that, but I know I can influence people's lives one at a time. So that's where I'm focused. Steve, what's exciting you right now? I think the move towards a self-reliant, independent society, we're going to find out who really cares about their future and those around them. And I reckon that's really exciting. You know what? I'm excited not knowing what's coming next. I'm excited by... The fact that most of the big companies believe everything's going to be okay and most of the p- politicians believe that, ah, oh, this cryptocurrency thing will go away and this and nah, but I don't think it will. I'm excited that actually the world's kind of getting nervous. There's, there's a rustle under people's feet. You know, we've got like the pull of the left and the right and sort of neo-socialism and different things happening and the liberals and there's a, there's a lot of pull and push. Like we're actually exiting a relatively long period of stability to a period of instability. And I don't know what it looks like. Yeah. But I tell you what, it's going to be interesting viewing. <laughs> or or even better, it's going to be really interesting to be playing the game and be right inside of it rather than just being a spectator. Yeah. I want to ask you a question I've asked a couple of uh, my guests recently. It's not a regular one, but um, and I think I know the answer to it um, based on the, this discussion. <laughs> Do you make your bed in the morning? No. So, my assumption was correct. <laughs> Why did you think that? Because I told you I was lazy. Yeah. Well, no, not because you're lazy, but because you, you told me that you've got a stack of mail that you haven't opened. Yeah, and, you know, like yeah. on some projects, you're not a finisher. And so, yes. um, and yes, I think the that bed, I don't finish the, in bed. <laughs> well, the, 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 the bed is like not important enough for you to that, worry about. You so, know what? This is. This but so, is why? Why don't you make your bed? It's just a waste of bandwidth. Every now and again, I do, but it'll always be in the afternoon because I, I don't like things to be messy. So, what I will say about that pile of stuff, it's very, very neatly stacked up in my- No, my office is neat with a whole lot of unfinished thing neatly neatly piled around each other, right? Um, And I hate a dirty desk at work. Actually, I don't even work on my work desk at home. I work on the kitchen table because it's more interesting there and I like to see the kids and all that. But um, when things are messy, I like to tidy them up. But what I don't like to do is misappropriate important bandwidth to unimportant things and making beard is certainly within that category. That's fair. Where can people find you? So, if you just go to stevesamateno.com, however you like to stalk me, your preferred stalking device, you can stalk me there. Uh, and that's where I write all my blog posts. And if anyone sings out on any of those forums, and I get lots, I get you know lots from all over the world. I even had you know, a Skype chat last week with a guy from Canada who read my book who wanted some advice in his startup. I'm like, let's have a Skype chat. He's like, what? You really do that? I said, why wouldn't I? I said, I've got the opportunity to help you. And if you want help, I'm here to help. That's what I do. That's You write a book. You don't write a book and then go, oh, you can't contact me. 
Now, I understand for some people who are at that macro fame level, it doesn't scale for, I get that. While it's scalable at the moment, while I can do it, that's what I'm here for. Where can people find the book on that note? Amazon, uh, you can find it. Uh, all of the bookstores, all of the online stores, um, The Lesson School Forgot is there and The Great Fragmentation as well is in all of those online stores and Kindle and you know, Apple Books and eBooks, all that kind of stuff. So it's in all of the places, wherever you prefer to buy your book, you'll find it because it's with a major publisher. Yeah, as as the mate mates uh, know, that's the first time I've used that term. The nice, <laughs> as, nice. As the mate mates know, uh, I've been doing a bit of traveling lately and I've seen The Lesson School Forgot at so many airport bookstores. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Actually, we already, I already have my copy though. So. I know, I know. Well, we did a reprint in two months, which was super quick. Like, yeah, you know, awesome. I've done like something like 7,000 copies already. So, I'm pretty happy with that for a small country. Amazing. Well, Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Mate, I've had a ball. This is fun. I've had a lot of fun too. <laughs> Even shared my weaknesses. Damn, damn it. I got you. <laughs> hey, I told you it was going to be the interview. You, you wrote the lesson school forgot. This is like the, the interview that the radio forgot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nah, thanks for having me, mate. Loved it. Well, there you have it. The behind-the-scenes, never-before-heard interview with Steve Sammartino. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for uh, being such a good sport with some of the challenging questions. Um, this was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, please subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a five-star review. It really helps the show grow. If you'd like more information about me, um, about the show, for, for some of the links to the resources that we mentioned in this episode, head to the website matepodcast.com or you can uh, find the show notes in your podcast app now. A big thank you to Josh Armour from Armour Pod Productions for editing and mixing today's episode. Thanks to Courtney Carmen for designing the beautiful Mate Podcast logo. And the Mate theme music is by Nine Inch Nails. The ad music is by Ben Sound. They are all used under a Creative Commons license. Mate Podcast is made with love and human beatboxing skills in my hometown, Melbourne, Australia. If you didn't get that joke, um, listen to the last episode, to maybe the last 15 seconds and you'll hear all, <laughs> you'll hear all about it. Um, Thanks so much for listening. This was a Jeffrey product. I'll speak to you next time. You're not going to get me two times, Josh. Um, I'm not doing any beatboxing today.